most pop music I think is absolutely fucking dog shit. So I needed to find something in pop music that spoke to me. Nowadays you're you're not just competing against everyone else who has a record out that week. You you know you're competing with the Beatles. I just remember thinking like in the event of a zombie apocalypse, you would be my first choice. Hey, welcome to the newly revamped Flying Vinyl podcast. That's right, we're gonna be doing more in-depth and revealing interviews with our alumni and broadcasting live from Pirate Studios in West London. I met the guys at Pirate a little while ago and they've got these locations all over the country and are just starting to scale overseas from what I understand. And basically, they've taken a kind of tech approach to rehearsal space for bands, making it easier for them to book and, and much, much cheaper. The rooms are kitted out with really great equipment. They're open 24-7, 365 days a year if you fancy rehearsing on Christmas Day. Uh, they start only £4 an hour. So if you're in a band and you're listening to this, then give it a try. See what you think. Let us know what you think. Um, www.piratestudios.co.uk if you want to make a booking. So, Black Honey, where to start? I still remember the first time I heard their music. It was back in 2015 and I remember hearing Spinning Wheel and saying, look, if this band don't become a part of what we're doing, there's not really much point in doing it. That's how important we felt they were going to be uh, to culture and to indie music. And I believe that now more than ever. If so, probably more so because I think that they're going to be important to pop music as well. I've been lucky enough to hear this album grow from demos to finished product and can tell you these guys have put all their chips on the table with an album that kind of references pop and hip hop as much as some of the older kind of cinematic influences that we discuss in this interview like uh, Tarantino and Wes Anderson for example. It's a massively brave and forward thinking debut and I can't wait for it to be out there because it's really special. Um, before we get into this interview, I can also confirm that as of right now, this very second, their debut album is available for pre-order and will be officially released on September 27th. So listen to this podcast, get really fucking excited and then head to blackhoneyuk.com and pre-order it. There's going to be this uh, amazing physical release on Aqua Blue Vinyl, which I'm going to put some pictures of on our Instagram in a minute. So go and check those out. Um, and also there's going to be this outrageous kind of limited edition gatefold deluxe picture disc thing which I'm immediately going to go and pre-order before I put this podcast live because I know that's going to sell out. Uh, anyway, that's the longest introduction I think we've ever done on this podcast so I'm going to shut up now and uh, play the interview. Don't go anywhere, it's time for the honeys. Any of you fucking pricks move and I'll execute every um, right, obviously we want to talk about the album, but before we do, can we just talk about like your earlier teenage years and uh, what point it was in your lives when you knew you were going to be in music? So, my earliest memory of wanting to do music was when I was, I think I was about 11, and I just watched telly and I used to see loads of um, blokes in bands. Like, my brother used to, like, give me CDs and stuff. And I remember thinking that I'd invented the idea of being a woman in a rock band. Um, so I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what they do, but I'm going to be the first girl in the world to do it. And then obviously, like, later found out that, like, all my heroes, like, Patti Smith and stuff, existed. Which was, like, a whole other, like, amazing discovery. But, yeah, I think that's my first kind of 
pre-teen almost memory mm-hmm. of it. Um, before that though, because girls, I was like, there's the Spice Girls, but why couldn't girls do like the guitar thing or play heavy rock music? Um, I remember just getting into bands quite young, but didn't didn't ever start playing in them until I was a, probably about 16 or something. And then just really enjoyed playing really bad covers with my mates. Um, did that for a while. And then just through doing that, I decided I just really like playing and uh, moved down to Brighton, met this lot. And that's about it. That's The rest is history. Um, yeah, so I started learning the guitar when I was about 12. And I think it all kicked off from about then. Started going to a Reading Festival. That was a big thing. Glory days. Absolutely. Seeing all my favourite bands at Reading was a big, big inspiration. Um, yeah, then met this lot in Brighton. And as Tommy says, the rest is history. <laughs> uh, Iz, when we were at Great Escape a few years ago, uh, you pointed out that tea shop that you used to work at. Can we, are we able to talk about that? Can we talk oh about the God, tea yeah. shop? Oh my God, yeah. That tea shop was the fucking worst. <laughs> I had to wear a pinafore and a hat, like a frilly hat. <laughs> um, I used to come in, like, hungover from a gig or something the night before on my bike. And it would be like, you know, and the whole universe is kind of against you. And there's, like, sideways rain and your hair's all stuck to your face and your makeup's running because of the sideways rain and you're running late. And you're trying so hard to keep your shit together. And I'd just get in and be like screamed at by this woman who owned the tea shop who also owned the diamond shop next door she'd be like do you own a hairbrush was her like favorite (laughs) caption line to me and i just remember thinking like in the event of a zombie apocalypse you would be my first choice no i never bought that hairbrush sorry to the lady who owns the tea shop and the diamond shop in brighton Still I mean, I'm sure if brush. anyone is going to be listening to the Flying Vinyl podcast, it's that woman. She sounds like our <laughs> yeah, prime right. audience. So, uh. all the t- all the all these staff there as well were like they were like 16 and and pregnant and really just like would like scream at me for, like across the shop like to, uh, with all the customers in full view. It was unbelievable. It was one of the worst like two weeks of my life. Um, Black Honey as a band has always seemed actually more inspired by film in some respects and cinema than music. Uh, can we talk a bit about your the f- like kind of films that you like and films that you've taken inspiration from in your music? I think the like ultimate film, especially for the album, would probably be True Romance. Um, there's a song on the album called Blue Romance that's pretty directly kind of referencing the you know there's the scene in um in in blue romance when he comes back after you know like making a complete mess and killing everyone and killing like the pimp and she's just like that's so romantic I feel like it's almost more beautiful if you if you find romance in a really dark twisted place or if it's like an obscurity Anything's more beautiful if it's twisted or if it's through a different lens or from a different perspective. So I think that's a really big one. Obviously, Tarantino wrote it, but he didn't direct it. But for me, it's a Tarantino film. Yeah. A lot of the other general references are more about being um, being a sort of a caricature 
from a film from maybe like grindhouse movies in the 60s like i love this film called faster pussycat kill kill just just like that sounds great it's such a funny film like it's basically right. these girls like have a squad they drive a big black car around they have massive boobs and just go and beat up groups of men and all the men are represented so funny in it like they can't not, they're all really stupid they're sort of represented as sort of cavemen that can't can't communicate anything and they're just like you know faster pussycat kill kill <laughs> we're gonna go murder some of those bloodshot men <laughs> <laughs> it's great um, have you noticed other bands starting to uh, pay more attention to the aesthetic behind their music and the art direction and things like that since, I mean, you guys were kind of the first people to be doing that in a big way, I think. I don't know if we were the first people to do that. Like, I think you were. I think people did it, but maybe not in bands. I also don't really know, like, I don't think we pay attention enough to like what other people yeah. in band world are doing. Um, to really like make a judgment on whether or not we've like started something there. I think meme culture is pretty strong. It's like a pretty strong like reference to movies and stuff. Yeah, we're just more in our own little bubble, really. We don't really take in what other people are doing. Yeah. So it's if people find that f- take inspiration from what we're doing, then awesome. That shows we're doing a good job. That actually that to jump ahead a little bit to the album as well. Obviously, uh, stylistically, it's well not completely different but it's very different from kind of the earlier work that you were doing and things have moved forward there's a lot of bands that are playing it really safe at the moment like where did that decision come from to to kind of change with the album because you could have literally just put out an ep's worth of music and then written a few filler tracks yeah i've I've never really got the um the sort of trend of an album being 90 percent stuff that you've already released that's i've never really seen the point and also because we we didn't re- release that much over the past sort of year and a half, um, and so I guess that time was spent sort of making early drafts of everything on the record and stuff. The other thing as well is the the uh, the kind of influences and inspiration in the album uh, include well everything. I mean, even like Kanye West and music that i wouldn't have expected you guys to be kind of tweaking and there's like synth which i never thought would be on a black honey record this band is a strict no synth policy i think was our um <laughs> our, our that was my yeah that was chris was yeah, rocking izzy. a synth pretty hard the other night i know it's so uh, <laughs> izzy had a, a strictly no synth policy and then the shackles were released and we went fucking crazy. Just borrowed everyone else's nice ones that we can't afford. We literally bought it like a week before tour because if we finished this song, we we're like, oh shit, we should probably try and learn it. <laughs> so I had to buy it the week before and I was just, how do I play this thing? But the references um, I think the big one is, uh, is, is hip hop. I like 80s hip hop. I like Tribe Called Quest and NWA and when they take like exper- the idea of kind of eclectically experimenting with, with samples and being like cool, I loved how they took like a craft work riff from, from like obscure 70s and then they'll like make it commercial in a way that felt like that's what Black Honey was, we're like cherry pickers just the same as hip hop artists in my head and I think that that's where, that's where the point of it really interested me and also looking at pop music and dissecting it in a bit more of a I guess in more of a technical way, hip hop's the biggest genre in the world, and 
most pop music I think is absolutely fucking dog shit and I hate it so I needed to find something in pop music that spoke to me and us and the closest thing that we could find that we related to was was like referencing more of the hip-hop beats and that wasn't or you weren't always like you haven't always been into hip-hop have you we talked about this the other day yeah like, this is no, something so, so what point it. in your life did that become a thing that you suddenly were interested in yeah really recently like my ex-boyfriend in the same era that I start started watching um, every Wes Anderson film ever, and because I'd like never heard of like art movies or anything like that really, so I he kind of discovered those things to me and and showed me them. Um, he also loved hip hop and listened to like what I considered to be like completely different music to what I liked, and he was a composer as well, so he was writing and programming with these beats and stuff, which I found quite inspiring. But I remember just watching every Tribe Called Quest documentary that I could find on the internet with him and he kind of like got me into all of that and we also like it because of the crossovers that you know like some of the big um think about big classic rock bands like um uh, kasabian for example they're like taking a hip-hop principle of the blueprint of the beat and then they make it like an anthem by putting like a chant over it and there's somewhere in rock music that crosses over really nicely like i love the jay-z and um like Linkin Park stuff, like we've always been fans of him. I think also with the not playing it safe thing as well, it was interesting to see Arctic Monkeys' new album as like a prime example of that, of just doing the complete opposite of what everyone kind of expected of them as well. Like, what did you think about that? Because that was a very dividing album when it re- when it was released last week or the week before. Oh, I, I personally loved it, but like in a way that I didn't think he, that they were going to beat AM. Like, there's no way that they could have tried to compete with, like, um, the biggest, best written album of this generation. So I think the best fuck you ever was just to be like, yeah, here's an here's a concept album of me drinking, drinking cocktails on Tracy Island <laughs> in a porno. With Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I want to talk about as well with the album was the uh, physical release as well. Uh, yeah what have you got planned for physical release we totally have one to show you some what did we did uh, i think dan's got it we had we brought you one to see earlier. really yeah we bought we bought How have you done that it's you, a sample and real, <laughs> real legit very real we're very very ready for next week's release <laughs> as always we're organizing ahead of time and this is not running late time keeping us going according to plan yeah <laughs> um sorry what was the question uh, well, what have you got planned for physical release? And if we can also just talk a bit about um, what you guys like about vinyl, because obviously we've put out an insane amount of records with you guys and you've done... I don't really like vinyl. You don't hate <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just something you sell, isn't it, really? Just shameless no. capitalism. No, I'm <laughs> I fucking love vinyl. Recently got a new turntable. You'd like that. Did you? Mm. Which one? It's a 70s vintage one. Nice. Mm. I don't you know the make, but it's really sexy. I have sent you some records. Yes, you should. Yes. it's We're going to do uh, the original album, the 12-inch LP, in um, a sort of, I would describe it as a iridescent blue vinyl. Um, it's The album cover's got um, sort of porno lips on it. Yeah. I would say with blue writing. Whose lips were they? I've seen that picture. Charlie Barker's? Oh, yeah, Tommy. Charlie <laughs> Barker's. <laughs> 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 Who's Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> I've some collagen. You've got your lipstick today. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for Deluxe, we're going to make this outrageous picture disc, double picture disc, where we've we've taken an opaque vinyl. Is it called opaque when it's see-through? A see-through vinyl? 
Yeah, it's transparent. Transparent vinyl. And um, that's going to have the, a picture disc of the lips, but when you flip sides, the tongue flips with it, so it's like a, a reflection of itself. And then the other side of the double picture disc is going to be blue lips, so exactly the same mm-hmm. as well. And then we've got like an amazing... Both, both deluxe and regular vinyl comes with... Um, a really comprehensive lyric book with like loads of behind the scenes features and exclusive photography um we've got like in the gatefold for the for the deluxe we've got this amazing like sort of double page spread photo of the band from tour which no one's seen yet mm-hmm. so that'll be great and then we're also we're running cassettes um we're doing a regular cd and then we're doing a jewel case sorry a regular jewel case and then we're doing the um digi pack which is like the double deluxe for for a cd as well and we're gonna we're gonna have different packages available we've got a t-shirt that we're gonna do a bandana and an enamel pin all this exclusive merch so fuck loads of stuff yeah yeah you can fill a store with that that's yeah that's a lot of stuff Mm, lots of stuff we love vinyl we love physical like we like things done properly like it wouldn't be us to just release a plain black 12 inch for our first album we're a colorful band so bright blue fucking wicked for us definitely um and also that kind of segues onto the videos as well can we talk about the videos are we yeah. able to talk about the videos yeah. yeah well can we talk can we talk about the um it was like a theme park can we talk about that yeah so um we have no budget for making music videos because we blew all of the budget for all of the music videos on one video so we decided to go to spain uh in the south of spain they have this thing called uh, texas hollywood which is where they filmed the good the bad the ugly where all the original spaghetti westerns were filmed and uh they've made them into these like sort of trashy theme parks and i wasn't sure what we didn't really have a plan we just knew oh it looks like a desert it looks really cool you know people film there maybe we could make some kind of cowboy western thing we'll go out into the town at night and we'll film something in the night as well see what happens and um yeah we got there and there were three theme parks and they were all pretty bad and like the one that we chose was called Oasis which is like the big one it looked like Disneyland it was uh, such a set that it was almost like oh is this going to be really naff like but we we um so anyway we went in and we brought the whole camera I dressed in a wedding dress and just walked around a theme park with Sam filming me but when people asked what we were doing I was just like uh, he was saying how I was just a really big Western fan and just came in character. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you didn't get booted out or asked for like filming. Yeah, well, we, every hilarious. corner we turned, we were like, someone's gonna, someone's gonna clock it in a minute. Like we're filming with this like massive camera, like someone's gonna see it. Um, and like no one did. And then as the day went on, we realised that the there was these actors walking around like being cowboys on horseback. Uh, for, for sort of reenactioning, and they did like a performance at two o'clock where everyone sits around and watches them shoot each other and then a big war happens between them so we we just asked them hey do you guys want to like walk along and um film and film with us and they were like yeah sure of course yeah cool hey do you guys mind if i like pretend to shoot you they were like yeah yeah, yeah no worries not at all and then it just ended up looking like we've had this ridiculous high-budget music video where we've employed people <laughs> on horseback and cowboys in an original Western set when really it was just a theme park with me like running around with a wedding dress. My favourite bit about it was that I bought the kitchen mirror with me to use as a reflector. Like in my suitcase on the plane, just like bringing my kitchen mirror. Mum's like, where's the mirror gone? I'm like, oh, I'm just borrowing it for a shoot, Mum. That's hilarious. Um... 
the other thing as well, obviously, as as this has gone from being kind of playing if small shows and things like that to, in a lot of cases, touring across Europe and really intensive touring every year, how have you guys all made the kind of personal adjustments in your personal lives to something that's getting bigger and bigger? Um, I've failed to do so, essentially. Right. <laughs> Just sort of go with it. Um, it's, it's a bit of a struggle, but it's it's worth it. It's It's fun to just... Um, just be on the road and away from everything else and escape, yeah, just <laughs> sort of forget about all the adult things that you come crashing back to you when you get home. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I think it's probably where we're, we're almost happy, you know, touring and stuff. That's when, that, that's when you really feel like, you know, you're a band, you're a gang. Yeah. Um, and it's nice because the shows touch wood keep getting bigger, which is always a good sign. Uh, the other thing as well that I know we've kind of briefly chatted about before is uh, social media and the kind of ever increasing pressure to constantly be on it and speaking to people and in constant communication with fans. Um, as a band who are unsigned and don't have a massive team around them, how do you all kind of deal with that and the pressures that come with it? Um, we do a lot of scheduling now. We try to do it all in advance, like beforehand. So um, it's really boring, but me and Tommy will put like a document together for like a two-week plan of what we're going to put online and what photo goes with what, and then try and have it all like pre-planned. Um, social media is fucking shit. Like, you know, I want to be in a band that plays rock and roll and tours the world. I want to be in a band that's real, and you can't be a band anymore. You have to be this multimedia franchise yeah. that's outputting like high quality video content and the most high high caliber photography and you just it's also just so it feels like social media is so on music related it doesn't There's so much of what you do isn't playing music anymore yeah. right i feel like you just get fans for all the wrong reasons like people people are so obsessed with how you look or you know what makeup you're wearing or or just the the whole point we got into music is because we wanted something fucking real to tangible that we could hold on to and cherish and social media just saps the soul out of that i mean just makes me feel shit about myself on the plus side though it's nice when you get people from mexico or australia or japan or somewhere you know somewhere on the other side of the world sort of sending you a message saying they can't wait to see you and when you make it out to Brazil or you know that's that's the yeah is is there's so many downsides to it but it's it, that's the incredible thing that you can sort of these days you can just reach someone on the other side of the world and sort of they can listen to your music and you don't you don't, you don't that's without shipping a thousand vinyls to South America have you found it's made you in any way more uh, narcissistic or like more uh, conscious or constantly of the way that you're portrayed? Yes. Things like that. Also, it shows where you have no control over it. Ultimately, you have camera phones that, and there's not really a massive way that you can control the output as you could if you were just posting general stuff. I still can't get my head around the fact that someone can take a photo of my face against my will without my consent and that they own that photo. So whoever took the photo will own it. Whoever presses the button owns yeah. it. So you yeah. could have not signed up for it, not consented to it. 
nothing, but it's your face, but you don't own it. You have no rights to it. Also, it's mad how people come to shows and they take the worst photo, really blurry, really far away, like there's someone's head in the way, yet they insist on putting it online. It's like, what What are you gaining from that? I it think it's like terrible. It's, uh, I think a lot like, of it's could, more about documenting Google, that they could, were there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, look, I'm out doing things. It's like the guy with the iPad at a gig. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so (laughs) you you could literally go home, Google Black Honey at this gig, and you'll come up with a hundred better videos, well, five with us, but (laughs) you come up with like five better videos than the one he's just taken. Yeah. So what's the point of doing it yourself? I didn't get. Like what you're saying is, it's it's more of a personal thing for people, I guess, just to sort of, you know, I'm out doing things. I think the other thing with you guys as well is, uh, especially in the last year, it's felt like, uh, like with Black Honey, there's there's not like fringe fans. Like with a lot of bands, you get like fringe fans who are like, oh yeah, those guys are cool. I'll go along to an odd show or whatever. Like your fans are like so into everything. They want everything about you and stuff. And like after the shows, there's a huge queue at the merch stand to come and meet you all and things like that. How do you deal with that side of things? And Because that's obviously becoming bigger and bigger as well. I think we're just so fucking stoked to have, I mean, like, we're still shocked that people buy tickets to see our shows, like, (laughs) we're used to, like, selling, like, two tickets for things, that's what, like, the world we grew up in, so the fact that people come to our shows is an honour, and then having such dedicated fans is just, it just makes everything fucking worthwhile, really. You can forget all your worries in just a second when you're on stage with people who really share how you feel. But um, I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna, we work hard for our fans, man. Like we're gonna, we're gonna always put the effort in for them. There's only that's ever a question because they put in the effort for us. So, so we fucking should stand at the merch stand and shake everybody's hand and sign every vinyl that they want because, at the end of the day, they're keeping us afloat and. Yeah, it's got to be a mutual exchange somewhere along the line. You can't take that for granted either, because yeah. like, mu- like careers in the music industry nowadays can last five minutes. So you've really got to put your work in for it, and just yeah, just not take it for granted. Are you concerned at all about that? Obviously, streaming seems to have sped up the uh, the time at which music's relevant. That was one of the things I think that was great about making an album that was that progressed what you were doing because it's so easy right now to just be like love one thing one minute and then six months later to have completely forgotten about it and moved on to the next thing does that concern you as a band at all there's no point getting concerned about it because it's just the way things are now the the thing i find the thing i i find weird about it is that nowadays you're you're not just competing against everyone else who has a record out that week you're you know you're competing with the beatles and you know, basically everyone who's ever released a record that's on Spotify, which is everyone ever, do you know? Yeah. Which is kind of daunting, but then, you know, like you, you rack up millions of plays and stuff and we wouldn't have sold millions of singles, do you know what I mean, at, at this point. So yeah. it's, it has its, has its upsides and downsides. Yeah, really. sure, sure. In terms of the kind of business behind black honey most people think you're signed a lot of people think you're signed to a major label or sort of assume you're signed to a major label because of the way the whole thing's been put together but actually the whole thing's basically been done by you guys and management and a really small team around you what made you not sign to a label what made you not take that route 
Um, <laughs> every label said we were shit and turned us down. Getting <laughs> getting drunk at label meetings, essentially. <laughs> Not taking ourselves seriously enough. <laughs> yeah. In hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> but it's weird because we we spent a while. You know, not necessarily us chasing things, but management and and the people around us, and we were we were cool with that, and it things worked out the way they did. And now, in hindsight, I think we're all just really fucking happy because the th- the thought of doing what everything we've done on a big swanky label, I think it, it would have just been a nightmare for us. I just don't think we really fit that mold. Yeah. Um, and you have control over everything, the way it looks, the way it sounds. So yeah, it's been good for us. It's a struggle, but so more of the long road, doesn't it? But I think in the l- for us, it's turned out for the better for sure. It, like if if we'd have signed to a major label like three years ago or whatever, it would have maybe been a quicker climb, a quicker climb with more, in, you know, more financial investment and things like that. But it probably wouldn't have hit as heights it could hit. If we'd have signed a major. Like, we'll be doing the exact same fucking thing, except for we'll then have the pressure of being dropped if the album didn't do well, and we wouldn't have our own rights. I feel like we'd kind of be... I feel like they just don't do their jobs, so, like, we'll, we would have ended up doing everything anyway. Also, when you tell that story about the video, you would have ended up spending 50 grand going and getting an agreement with that place, and, like, all those... Everything yeah. would have become more expensive and, and stuff, and that's ultimately becomes your money at the end of the day that's kind of... If we'd have signed a deal, like, three years ago, we would have released the album two years ago like so the album wouldn't have been as good a quality as it is now and oh absolutely there's been a bands that are signed and dropped in the time that's taken us to put out one album yeah and it's been it's been like a long time coming like this has been the most like hyped album from an indie band for a long time i mean we get i get emails genuinely from people asking me about when your album's going to be out and i'm like I don't fucking know. Why are you asking me? Yes, you do. <laughs> no, but I say I don't. I don't know about the album. Do me a favour. <laughs> I only hear about it every other day. <laughs> um, Our album's going to be out on the 21st of September. You heard it here first. This is the time to get the plugs in, yeah. Which is also my birthday. That's what I heard yesterday. That was the most... No, well, the, the most recent one I heard yesterday was the... Tw- was the 21st which just means us having to go and change everything that we've made but <laughs> every video every promo thing but that probably means it will be december so yeah and we should probably say that as of today when this podcast is going out you're able to now pre-order the album which you should absolutely do pre-order our album for the love of god get get the Please. deluxe get the bundle buy it buy on tape cat, buy it for your nun <laughs> Buy a cassette version so you can feel really hipster. Please buy it. Like, there's like nothing that you can do better in the world to support your favorite bands than buying their record in every format. If you buy it in, if you buy it in a bundle, every single like thing in that bundle contributes to a separate chart position. So that really helps. We we like really support. Like, we've had really good support from Flying Vinyl guys before. So, can we talk about Flying Vinyl? Did we, yeah. Do we have to? <laughs> Better things to do, really, haven't we? Let's <laughs> be honest. Who are those guys? Bunch of twats. Uh, we've done three singles with you guys now, uh, 
and I think the, f- the first one that we put out was Kareen back in uh, November 2016 and it was probably the biggest response that we've had to a record to date was that record. Still? Still. That's mad. It was, yeah, it was like we knew it was going to be a good record and we knew it was going to be a big record but we weren't aware of like just the response that we're going to have to it on social media and even like emails and stuff and there were people all over the world who were getting in touch asking us for copies and like how they could get hold of it and stuff i mean it was it was huge um obviously that was a little while ago what how, like what's what does it mean do you think to be a flying vinyl band and well when you're when you're starting out like we were sort of back when we did our first stuff with you the the idea of and if you're unsigned the idea of being able to have enough money to record and the rest of it and then produce vinyl is just it's it's just a pipe dream really so for us that was fucking amazing to be able to i think that was pretty much the first time we sort of got to hold our music on wax you know Mm, it was yeah and that was a huge fucking deal um so thanks very much i remember driving over to the was it the horn in it's like in the arse end of nowhere when you were supporting witches that tour oh in st albans was it st albans yeah it was a really like a like a pub or something yeah yeah. venue on the back and that yeah yeah um is for you just can we talk a bit about um what challenges you face being a woman in music i i my hardest challenge and this is by all means a hugely positive thing that this is my hardest challenge is genuinely getting in and around <laughs> the gigs that I'm playing <laughs> so like when we were on the Royal Blood tour um, the security guys wouldn't, wouldn't let me through even with a triple A so to get demo our guitar tech in my hands like come and like chaperone me through everywhere so that was pretty shit I got kicked out my own gig before um I think it's. I think. I think. To be honest, like being in a woman music isn't hard, and like there isn't a sub story. I think tech industries are actually the the big thing. Mm. I think that having um, having like our tour manager, for example, is a woman, Claire. I think you you know her really well as well, don't you? Yeah. Um. I just I see how she gets treated, and I just think, fuck me. Like people assume when she drives a van in that she's a groupie. They have to go and like get accreditation just to prove that. So if if she was like. 45 a bit overweight with a beard wearing a black t- black t-shirt she wouldn't have any problem driving a van in roll of duct tape on her belt yeah exactly yeah. i mean she loves a roll of duct tape so <laughs> but um i think it's harder in tech in tech and i think there's like the balance is is realigning itself and um i mean i'm i don't feel like i'm particularly treated different in in the situation i'm in now but i think getting it took a lot of balls when i was younger like it was pretty scary when you're like 14 and you just think that you don't know something as well as someone else knows it um so like i was scared to ask anyone to be in my band or 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 you know write songs with me or didn't i was scared to show people the songs i wrote scared of playing guitar in public scared of everything like that everything was a challenge but i think part of that comes from being quite um quite a sort of insecure um, teenager as well. I think the combination of being a woman wanting to do something that I didn't actually know if women did r- much, or especially my immediate peripheral, um, and then getting into it now, 
people who know what you do respect you and people who you work with treat you as an equal. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose you get to surround yourself as well with people like Claire who are doing an amazing job. Yeah, exactly. It was it was when we went to the design museum. Do you remember? And um, there was a picture on the wall, of, like Where's Wally style wall, and it was like there was they basically did a a, a a numerical representation of Where's Wally, and the one woman in the photo was how many women for every man to woman ratio in in tech industry. And it was like there were just hundreds. Like it was it was like it a was thousand huge. Men. It was this like massive picture, and there was like literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and there was just there was like one single woman wasn't it and it was completely representative of the uh yeah like a numerical representation which that shit just blows my mind yeah so the future of the band obviously this is sort of like in the next few months is quite a big moment when you put the album out what happens next we've announced the album today tomorrow we play the main stage with queens of the stone age iggy pop and the hives and we are so fucking excited about it um, it's going to be like the gig of our lives. We've all got matching double denim outfits for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to drink Budweiser's hopefully, just so it can be real hillbillies. And then we're doing a f- like a pretty solid festival c- circuit. We're doing Rise, Festival, 2000 Trees, uh, Truck, Tram Lines, Latitude, Electric Fields, and quite a lot of others that we probably forgot off that list. Then in the album will be In Your Hands uh, on September 7th. But before then, you're going to see maybe like three more s- new tunes are going to drop f- across summer with like massive videos. And we've got our big song called Midnight that's going to drop in August, which we're really stoked about that one. It's probably like the most the most fun song on the record. If we were really desperate, we could we could scrap we could scrap an album two together tomorrow. So, like, it's not a worry. It's actually really, I feel really, um, really, like, like a, a weight has, has lifted almost with this album being finished. So I'm I'm excited to start cracking on with album two, to be honest. I think it'll be really fun. Cool. Thanks very much for taking the time to chat to us. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, Flying Vinyl. I look back and I'm amazed that my thoughts were so clear and true, that three words went through my mind endlessly, repeating themselves like a broken record. You're so cool. You're so cool. You're so cool. So just to confirm, the album is going to be out on September 21st, but you can pre-order it now. Um, Thanks to Pirate Studios and to Hayley at Pirate for recording and mixing this session. Uh, and of course yourself taking the time to listen Uh, we really appreciate it Uh, it'd be great if you could give us a little review on iTunes because it helps us get the podcast to new people and yeah let us know what you think and subscribe if you haven't already I'm gonna leave you with this new single from Black Honey it's called I Only Hurt The Ones I Love Viva La Revolution